Welcome to Faith Foundations with Open the Word with Circle of Friends podcast. I'm your host, Gwen McCaslin, for this discipleship series, and we are picking up today as a part two um, of talking about something called theophany. And theophany is just very simply where, uh, where God shows up in the Bible in a tangible way that can be perceived or interacted with through human senses. Um, and so a lot of times it's a visual one, but um, there is a lot of evidence for um, being auditory or just hearing God speak. And again, it's not maybe perhaps like you and I would hear God speak um, because uh, most, I think, experiences today are God speaking into your thoughts, into the interior world of the person. But I want to kind of go through some of these theophanies in the Old Testament, these moments where scripture records the Lord showing up. Um in some way or another. So we're going to actually start with the life of Abraham. And one of the biggest things I want you guys to know about Abraham is that he is the one who receives the initial promise for the promised land. Um, He receives that initial thing. Um, And so literally, um, you can turn to Genesis 12, and we'll be looking at verses 7 through 9. And I'm going to flip over a couple pages and read that out loud. Okay, so it says in verse 7, The Lord appeared to Abram and said to your descendants, I will give this land. So he, Abraham, built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. And then he proceeds to go to a mountain. Um, But the important thing here is to just understand that God, that the Lord physically shows up. And so I want you to kind of keep in mind, you know, last episode we started talking about the voice of God through Scripture and how um, God's voice is powerful enough to literally create substance out of nothing and and not just substance, complicated substance. Um, You know, I one of the analogies I like to give my kids is that you know, how ridiculous is it to put together, put little pieces of a puzzle, like a, let's just say a thousand piece puzzle, and I put it in a box, close it up, and shake it, and I expect it to form and connect and, and form the picture. That's ridiculous. I mean, my kids even look at me and go, it would never put itself together. And I'm like, exactly. But yet, huh, science sometimes wants us to buy that our bodies as much more intricate than a puzzle piece, just accidentally formed over time, given enough time. And I told the kids, I said, so what if we just add time to shaking the puzzle? And this is an analogy that kind of comes out of Answers in Genesis. And my kids look at me and go, Mom, you're crazy. (laughs) Because even a kid can see that adding more time is not going to fix something when there needs to be a person purposely piecing the puzzle pieces together. Um, And if you look at just your thumb, it's so much more complicated than that. The amount of systems that are at work in just the thumb. Anyway, so that's just food for thought for some of you. And for others of you, you're like, oh, I've never thought of that before. Anyway, I don't know where God has you. But um, here's the thing. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. So let's go back and we're going to, we've just talked about God showing up to Abraham in chapter 12. He shows up again in chapter 18. This time he's got two angels with him. Um, And so flip over a couple of pages and you are in chapter 18. Verse 18, chapter 1 says, Now the Lord appeared to him, which would be Abraham, 
by the oaks of Miramie, or um, you can think they're terebinths. Terebinths. Am I saying that right? I think so. And basically, they're oak trees, okay? And the interesting thing is the passage that we talked about in chapter 12 was also under oak trees, okay? And so um, I was talking to somebody the other day. There was some kind of conversation. I can't remember the exact source. Um, but they were talking about these parabenth trees, these oak trees, and how um, there seems to be this whole theme in Scripture about how God will show up underneath these trees. And so I just found that interesting. I mean, if back in the day you don't have air conditioning, so, you know, the coolest place to be would be under these trees. But, um, you know, but otherwise, anyway, I just found that incredibly interesting. So here we go. Under the oak trees, the Lord appears while he was sitting at the tent door in the heat of the day. And so he lifts up his eyes and he looks and behold, there's three men standing opposite him. And when he saw them, he ran from the tent door to meet him and he bowed himself to the earth and he said, my Lord, now if I've found favor in your sight, do not pass your servant by, please um, let a little water be brought and let and wash your feet and rest yourselves under the tree. And I will bring a piece of bread that you may refresh yourself. So basically, we got Old Testament hospitality right here. Uh, and the interesting thing is the Lord kind of has a conversation with himself. And so in verse 17, you see the Lord say, Shall I hide from him, from Abraham, what I'm about to do? Uh, since Abraham will surely become a great mighty nation, and in him all the nations of the earth will be blessed. For I have chosen him so that he might command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteous and justice, um, righteousness and justice, so that the Lord may bring upon Abraham what he has spoken about him. And so the Lord ends up revealing his plans for Sodom and Gomorrah. And what unfolds is this beautiful interaction of God and Abraham uh, talking back and forth and Abraham asking for mercy on behalf of Sodom and Gomorrah um, and begging the Lord to spare the city if there can be found so many righteous people. Um, and, And Abraham just slowly slowly you can just see his skill as a negotiator you can see what he used to have diplomatic relations with all of those other uh, people groups in the area but you can just see him start just working it to try to because he knows there's not a lot of, of righteous people down there in Sodom and Gomorrah he knows it and so he is literally asking for mercy on behalf of hundreds and thousands perhaps millions of people Um, But he knows that there's barely any righteous. And so he actually wheedles God down all the way um, to less than 10. If there's 10, if I can find 10 righteous, you know. And so I just, I love that because he he literally is using all of his negotiating skills uh, with the Lord. And the Lord's allowing this. You can see the mercy of the Lord. Now, the Lord knows that there are not 10 righteous. He knows that. Um, And so, I don't know. I just sit with this encounter, and I just feel like it's a beautiful encounter with the Lord, where we can see evidences of God's mercy even. Um, And, you know, if you think that there were hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people represented in Sodom and Gomorrah, that there are not 10 righteous Lot had zero 
influence. Let that sit with you. Lot had zero influence. Beyond himself, he had no influence. So that that speaks volumes to me, that he has lived his life there in relationship with all of those people, and he has not rubbed off at all. Um, okay, so moving on, uh, let's go to Genesis 32, 22 through 30 is our next one. And this is actually Jacob. This is uh, Jacob's encounter with the Lord. Um, and this is where Jacob actually wrestles um, with what appears to be a man. So if you want, go ahead and look up Genesis 32, verses 22 through 30. Now, Jacob in 22, um, he sends his two wives and two maids and his 11 children across this this uh, area at Jabbok. And he takes them and he sends them across the stream. Um, and he sends across whatever he has. So he puts everybody else, everything else in between him and his brother. Um, and so that he is left alone. And it says that a man wrestled with him until daybreak. And when he saw that he had not prevailed against him, um, this man who was wrestling him touched the socket of his thigh so that the socket of Jacob's thigh was dislocated while he wrestled with him. Then he said, let me go for dawn is breaking. But he said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. So at this point, Jacob's realizing that there's something else going on here. Um, And Jacob refuses to let go. And in verse 27, and he says to him, what's your name? And he says, I'm called Jacob. And he says, your name shall no longer be Jacob, but Israel. For you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked him, please tell me your name. But he said, why is it that you ask my name? And he blessed him there. So Jacob named the place, and I'm going to butcher this, guys. Forgive me, but a penile, maybe. Um, For he said, I have seen God face to face, yet my life has been preserved. Now the sun rose upon him as he crossed over, and he was limping on his thigh. And therefore, to this day, the sons of Israel do not eat the sinew of the hip, um, which is on the socket, because he touched the socket of Jacob's thigh. Um... Okay, big deal here, okay, is literally a name change. And anytime you see a name change, um, it is kind of this identity change that comes over. And so Jacob means deceiver. And so in this encounter with God, he literally wrestles and will not let go until he's blessed. Um, And I find this encounter interesting because somewhere along the lines, he realizes that he's wrestling tangibly with God. Can you imagine? I mean, I just want you to get your mind around this, okay? A lot of us have seen the chosen. Now I want you to just imagine Jacob's chosen moment with God where, you know, perhaps this is Jesus. This is one of the encounters that they think might have actually been Christ. Um, But I want you to just imagine, let's say this is Jesus before he's incarnate in in the birth. And so, you know, just sit with that for just a minute. He's wrestling with the creator of the universe in physical form in some way. Um, and so he's, he's literally wrestling with God. And at some point, this man becomes obviously more than just a man to him. He, he's aware that it's more. And he holds on and refuses to let go until he's blessed. 
Now, Jacob has wrestled with every single person in his life lately. Um, you know, he he wrestled with his brother over birthright and blessing. He wrestled with Laban over his wives. He He's just spent his life wrestling with men um, and trying to grasp anything he can grasp. His name from birth on is deceiver and he literally comes out of the womb arm first wrestling for first place um, trying to grab it and so you just have this image of this man that from his very birth has been defined um, by this wrestling and jostling and grabbing what isn't his and what doesn't belong to him and making it his. And so you even see that in his moment with God. But he leaves that encounter with the Lord with a new name. His name is now Israel, the father of a nation. Um, Israel, his people, literally become the wife of God. Um, and so by the time we get to the book of Hosea, you know, God's whole premise towards the people of Israel is that they have not been faithful to the covenant marriage that he has with them. Okay, so that all comes back to this moment right here where God shows up and Jacob wrestles and he walks away from this encounter with the name Israel. So moving on, Throughout, we're going to stop over in Exodus chapter 3. And here we pick up with Moses. And Moses is in the middle of the wilderness. He has basically fled from his childhood in Egypt, um, his palace training, his adoption by uh, the sister of the Pharaoh uh, or the king's daughter. Um, And so he's been raised in a royal household. He's got the equivalent of a PhD. And, and he's run to the wilderness, and he's met up with Jethro, and he's, he's basically learning to shepherd sheep in the wilderness, which is such an amazing training ground for what he will eventually do when he leads the nation of Israel out of Egypt, and they wander around the wilderness for 40 years um, because people parallel sheep quite easily. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so I, I have to chuckle because I remember somebody uh, pointing out that he was learning how to find water in the wilderness and desert. He was learning how to provide food for his people. He was learning how to deal with dangers of the wilderness. And he was learning the region, the area. Um, and so when Moses takes the nation of Israel out, it's like he's taking him home, <laughs> you know, and I, I, we don't always think of that, you know, we kind of think that he's headed somewhere he doesn't know, but he's very familiar um, with all of the things that he's going to encounter along the way. Uh, and so I find that just interesting, but okay, so basically he's out in the middle, he's tending sheep, and all of a sudden he sees something he's never seen before. Um, and this is in Exodus chapter three, and it's verse two. The angel of the Lord appeared to him in a blazing fire from the midst of a bush. And he looked, and behold, the bush was burning with fire, but the bush was not consumed. So Moses said, I must turn aside now and see this marvelous sight, why the bush is not burned up. And then verse 4, when the Lord saw that he turned aside to look, God called to him from the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses, here I am, he said. 
Um, and what proceeds is basically um, God makes a covenant with Moses. And he literally tells him exactly what the next 40, well, for the, what, frankly, for what the rest of his life is going to look like. Um, and so in that moment, he is literally given his call to rescue the nation of Israel out of the hands of the Egyptians. Um, and so that's Exodus chapter 3, and that's another what we consider theophany. Okay, uh, the next one is also to Moses, actually the next couple, um, is Exodus 24, verses 9 through 11. Um, and this is where God appears to Moses, who is with Aaron and Aaron's sons and 70 elders. Um, and 24 verse nine says, and then Moses went up with Aaron, Nebab, um, Abihu and 70 of the elders of Israel. And they saw the God of Israel and under his feet, there appeared to be a pavement of sapphire as clear as the sky itself. Yet he did not stretch out his hand against the nobles of the sons of Israel and they saw God, and they ate, and they drank. Now the Lord said to Moses, Come up to me on the mountain and remain there, and I will give you the stone tablets with the law and commandment, which I have written for their instruction. So Moses arose with Joshua his servant, and Moses went up to the mountain of God. So I just want to point out that um, this description in verse 10 where it says that they saw the God of Israel and under his feet there appeared to be a pavement of sapphire as clear as the sky itself um, I just want to point out that that description right there um, is pretty similar to Revelation actually um, and I think if you looked up Revelation chapter 4, um, particularly verse 3, but you will see descriptions just like this of the throne room of heaven, which is just amazing to me. So whether they were seeing the throne room of heaven, whether they were seeing God with just um, pavement of sapphire under his feet, um, whatever it is, it literally, Revelations describes um, kind of this idea of this area of sapphire or clear as the sky itself area crystal um, that almost you can see through. And so there's a couple of descriptions where like John's talking about looking up into heaven and seeing what he can see and just different places. So I want you to understand that basically what Aaron, his two sons, and the 70 elders see with Moses is very much God revealing himself as the ancient of days. Um, and so anytime you see that, the one sitting on the throne is the ancient of days in scripture. And so um, literally what they're seeing is, is God revealing himself as the ancient of days here. Um, and so they do this, which ironically, <laughs> this encounter with the Lord is right before the nation of Israel and probably what is a mob mentality pressures them into creating a golden calf for them to worship. Um, and the reason that kind of comes about is that Moses is up on the mountain and he seems to be up there and he's never coming back. And so they're like, create a God for us to follow. <laughs> um, and so I, I mean, I'll give 
Aaron and, and, you know, these 70 elders the benefit of the doubt that it probably was pretty hard to turn the tide of the people with Moses being MIA, missing in action. Um, because a lot of times you will kill an entire organization by making the leader disappear. Uh, and so it just kind of depends here. But um, anyway, I just find that so ironic that that being able to see that it is literally right before um, the nation of Israel asked them to create a false idol. <laughs> Okay, the next time we see God showing up in Scripture is Deuteronomy 31, 14 through 15. And this is at the end of Moses' life with Joshua, and there is a transfer of leadership. Um, And so if you guys want to quickly turn to Deuteronomy 31, you can follow right along. Uh, Verse 14 of chapter 31 reads, Then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, the time for you to die is near. Call Joshua and present yourselves at the tent of meeting that I may commission him. So Moses and Joshua went and presented themselves at the tent of meeting. And the Lord appeared in the tent in a pillar of cloud. Uh, And the pillar of cloud stood at the doorway of the tent. And the Lord said to Moses, Behold, you are about to lay down with your fathers, and this people will rise and play the harlot with strange gods of the land and rise into the midst of which they are going and will forsake me and break my covenant which I have made with them. And my anger will be kindled against them in that day and I will forsake them and hide my face from them and they will be consumed. Many evils and troubles will come upon them so that they will say in that day, is it not because our God is not among us that these evils have come upon us? But I will surely hide my face in that day because of all the evil which they will do, for they will turn to other gods. Now, therefore, write this song for yourselves to teach the sons of Israel and put it on their lips so that this song may be a witness for me against the sons of Israel. And then, you know, what happens. But this is this is the moment where Joshua is literally commissioned. In verse 23, it says, Then he commissioned Joshua, the son of Nun, and said, Be strong and courageous, for you shall bring the sons of Israel into the land which I swore to them, and I will be with you. And it came about when Moses finished writing the words of this law in a book that they were complete that Moses commanded the Levites who carried the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, saying, Take this book of the law, place it beside the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God, that it may remain there as a witness against you. For I know your rebellion and your stubbornness. Behold, while I was still alive and with you, you have been rebellious against the Lord. How much more then after my death? Um, which, honestly, that had to have broken Moses' heart to know that the people were going to be that rebellious against the Lord. But it also tells you the nature of their true true heart with the Lord. Um, and then the last example I kind of had was out of Job, and it's Job 38 through 42. And it the what's going on in the story of Job in this encounter is that Job um, is asking questions of the Lord. He's gone through profound suffering. 
And God shows up in a whirlwind and he answers Job out of the whirlwind, out of this tempest or this storm. Um, And so God begins to question Job. And it's this beautiful encounter of God basically saying, I am this big. What are you? (laughs) Remember your size. Remember um, how long your life is compared to eternity. And so it's this whole thing of where were you when I hung the stars in place, when I created everything out of nothing, which brings us beautifully full circle back to the creation story and to God literally speaking into existence everything that was made with just his voice. All right, so that has been kind of a a quick look at theophanies throughout the Old Testament. Um, There are other things like, for example, the pillar of cloud and fire um, is referred to often as the glory of God. Um, You'll see that in the temples when they're dedicated. Um, And we in Christendom have come to call that the Shekinah glory, the glory of God. Um, I don't know that that's a scriptural term per se, but it's something that we've kind of used to describe it. Um, there's also other words like um, phrases like the Lord came down. Uh, and so you'll see that in Genesis 11.5. That's in Exodus 34.5. Um, in Numbers 11.25 and then in 12.5 uh, And so this idea of the Lord coming down out of the heavens and to a bee on earth. Um, and so if you think... I mean, if you just step back for a minute and think about all of this, I mean, just just let this roll over you that, you know, when we first see God, it's his voice and he's creating something out of nothing. But then if we survey how we see God interact, I mean, we see him speaking into the lives of man to do crazy things like provide direction, guidance, to give them a grasp of a future plan. You know, that was Moses at the burning bush. Noah grew up with stories his father would have heard um, about walking with God. You know, he speaks into the lives of others where they are and through whatever means. And so, in you know, you've got the story of Laban who has a dream where he's warned. Pharaoh, Nebuchadnezzar, Pilate's wife, Paul... Um, all of them receive, and even Peter, receive dreams or visions um, from the Lord. Um, even people like Pharaoh, for example, Pharaoh wanted nothing to do with God, but yet God warns him in a dream. Think about the mercy in that. Nebuchadnezzar goes off, he loses his mind, and he's literally reinstated as king. The mercy in the story of Nebuchadnezzar is incredible. You know, you've got Hagar, In Genesis 16, you've got the renaming of Abraham and Jacob. You've got the announcement of babies. You've got Isaac's birth announcement, Samson's, John the Baptist, Jesus. Um, You have promises given through Abraham and Jacob. You have questions asked in Job. You have Solomon um, who's asked, what do you want? Um, to all of the rules of for the tabernacle and for worship that are given to Moses. You have God speaking as a friend to Moses. Exodus 33, 11 says, Thus the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face, just as a man speaks to his friend. And so, you know, I want to encourage you that if you've never experienced God re- interacting with you, 
that you need to maybe use your imagination a little bit. Ask God to meet you. You know, start doing things like, okay, Lord, I'm driving alone, so I'm going to pretend you're in the seat next to me. And I'm just going to pray and talk to you. You know, and Lord, if you feel you can, would you, would you communicate back somehow? Bring to mind scripture, talk into my thoughts. You know, just, I don't know, just show up. It, but it's creating space for to interact with the Lord. It's creating the uh, the silence, the 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 emptiness for God to speak. Um, and so I think sometimes we fill it up with words, we fill it up with thoughts, busyness, stuff to do, distractions. My challenge to you would be just to create some space to let God speak if He wants to, um, and do that on a habit make that a habit. Uh, Anyway, that's all I have for today and we'll see you next time. Thanks for listening today. Be sure to subscribe so you don't miss any episodes. We'd love to hear from you. So find us on Facebook and Instagram at Open the Word Podcast or Send us an email to openthewordpodcast at gmail.com. Is it time for you to plan a day trip with your peeps? Come and stay a while at Shia Market in Berlin. There is something for everyone, no matter what your taste or style may be. Visit the Village Gift Barn for your custom floral arrangements and timeless accessories for your home. Stroll upstairs to Shia Style Boutique for your perfect outfit. Everything from accessories to shoes. Be inspired at country gatherings with decor from modern farmhouse to transitional design. Then meander through the gardens for a large selection of houseplants. And last but not least, order your perfect cup of brew at the Buggy Brew Coffee Company. End your day by gathering to relax in our courtyard. You will leave feeling connected and refreshed.